I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. It's like the police knew who he was before they got here. From iHeart Podcasts. The medical school dean at USC was leading a secret double life. He's breathing right now? Yes, he's absolutely breathing. I'm a doctor, actually. A story about money, power, and corruption. When people fall in line, they fall in line. Looking back, I realized, oh, everyone knew. I'm Paul Pringle, an investigative reporter for the LA Times. Listen to Fallen Angels, a story of California corruption, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Therapy for Black Girls podcast is your space to explore mental health, personal development, and all of the small decisions we can make to become the best possible versions of ourselves. I'm your host, Dr. Joy Harden Bradford a licensed psychologist in Atlanta, Georgia. And I can't wait for you to join the conversation every Wednesday. Listen to the Therapy for Black Girls podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Take good care, and we'll see you there. There's a lot happening these days, but I have just the thing to get you up to speed on what matters without taking too much of your time. The 7 from the Washington Post is a podcast that gives you the seven most important and interesting stories, and we always try to save room for something fun. You get it all in about seven minutes or less. I'm Hannah Jewell. I'll get you caught up with The 7 every weekday. So follow The 7 right now. This is Conversations with Olivia Jade, an iHeartRadio podcast. Hello, everybody. It's Olivia Jade. Welcome back to another episode of Conversations. I am really excited for this episode because I think we're all going to learn a lot today. And it's a topic that most probably wouldn't expect me to highlight on my podcast, but I am so grateful that I have this opportunity and this person to come on and share just a lot of good information with us. I don't want to spoil who it is, so let's welcome her. No need for this long intro, and she can tell you all about herself. So with that being said, please welcome Nicole Lappin. Hi, Nicole. Hi. How are you? I'm good. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. Of course. Congratulations on the show. Thank you so much. And welcome I'm... to the iHeart family. Thank you. I know. I read that you're also part of the family, which is really exciting. It's a good fam to be part of. I know. I'm not complaining. Um, I'm actually really excited for today's episode because I know absolutely nothing about the topic in which we will be discussing. But before we jump right into it, do you want to give the listeners a background as to who you are, what you do, your upbringing? Sure. I am Nicole Lavin, and I wrote a book called Rich Bitch. <laughs> that was my first book. I am now on my fourth book with Miss Independent. And these are books that are about the typically boring subject of finance and investing, but I try to at least make it 
fun or as fun as it can be and readable, because I think this is such an important topic, especially for women to talk about. And I really think it's the last taboo we have out there. Like we'll talk about basically everything before we talk about money. I'll go to dinner with my girlfriends and I'll be like, tell me about your sexy life and your bikini wax. And then I say, well, what's in your bank account? And all of a sudden it's crickets. I'm like, girl, he just told me about your landing strip. And this is crickets. That's so true. What is this? But I didn't come from money. I figured out how to make my own money, how to make it grow for me in the school of hard knocks. And I realized that, you know what, it's a, it's a language, just like anything else. We just don't learn it growing up and we don't learn it in school, which is freaking bananas. It's crazy. If I were in charge of the world, it would totally be different, but I'm hoping to make it jargon free and understandable and accessible once and for all. Yeah. And I think honestly, the main thing with this conversation is, at least for me, it's so intimidating because I don't know much about it and because I wasn't taught it growing up that I don't even know where to start. And I think a lot of people feel that way. Like, where do you start either? Even if you're not in your early stages anymore, I mean, it's never too late to learn about this. I think these are really good skills, obviously, to have under your belt. But what's a good starting point for somebody that's just like, I don't even know what any of this means? It is never too late. You're never as young as you are today, by the way. And uh, I'm glad I didn't invest earlier. Said no one ever. I just had these mugs made for my new book. It's true. No one has ever said to me, you know what? I'm so happy that I didn't invest earlier. I'm just so stoked that I didn't do this in my 20s. No, you know, you don't actually need a lot of money to make money. You just need the most time possible because then you get to take advantage of this amazing, beautiful, glorious force that is compound interest where your money is literally working for you while you're doing nothing. I mean, you work so hard for your money. It's time. I think it returned the favor. And the first step, all of my books are 12 step plans. And I truly think the first step to any recovery is admitting you have a problem. Mm. I mean, the only problem you can't fix is the one you don't admit you have in life. Mm -hmm. uh, And especially with your finances So be really, really specific about them. Let your problems speak. And that's the best way to tackle them. And I really like to give a combination of forgiveness for my former self for what she didn't know. Right. It's okay. But now that you know more, it's not okay moving forward. Like right. a little bit of tough love and say, we can do better. What's like an easy first step besides just obviously recognizing maybe if you've been a little bit careless with your spending, but what's like a good first step that's achievable for most to be like, okay, I'm going to put away this much money and I'm going to invest it in this place. And how do you figure that out? So I would first come up with your spending plan. So instead of a budget, I call it a spending plan because like a regular diet, if you have an eating plan, you allow yourself small indulgences so you don't end up binging later on instead of something like a crash diet or a fad diet. And so I break that down into the three E's, essentials, end game, and extras, where 70% of your overall spending plan. So what you have coming in goes to the essentials. So your food, your housing, your transportation, all that stuff. And then no more than half of that. So 35% of the whole shebang going to housing, which is oftentimes where people blow their spending plan if they had one. And then 15% to the extras. So whatever fun stuff does it for you, the latte, Mm -hmm. the mani-pedi, like don't cut that stuff out cold turkey because you're just not going to stick to it. Mm -hmm. And then 15% ideally to the end 
end game. So that's your future self, your savings, your retirement, uh, anything you're saving up for. If you're getting married, obviously that can be a separate sub savings account uh, for your end game. Interesting. Okay. Well, a huge thing what I try to do with my podcast is I really want to incorporate the listeners into it. So I normally take it to social media and I get a little Q&A going. And when I announced that you were going to be on the podcast, I was flooded with questions because I think so many of my followers also relate to just not really knowing this basic or key information. And so I was wondering if you would mind if I could read some questions to you and we could help some people out. Yes, of course. Bring it. Yes. Amazing. Okay. So somebody said, which I think is an interesting rule of thumb, and I'm curious um, your opinion on it. They said, my method is if you can't buy two, you can't afford it. Thoughts? Huh. If you can't buy two, you can't afford it. Interesting. I've never heard that before. Uh, (laughs) um, Generally, I think that if you have it within your spending plan, it's accounted for and it's not something you're sneaking. If you have a company and you come up with a budget, right? Like iHeart has a budget and they have staplers in the budget, for instance, they're not sneaking off and saying, Hmm, I wonder, can I buy one stapler or two staplers? If I can't buy two, I can't buy any. No, there's none of that like story you're telling yourself. If you have it laid out and you don't have to do it all day long, you just have to do it ideally in the beginning of the year is a good time to set up a system, set it and forget it. You don't need to be looking at stock charts all day long. And there shouldn't be guessing like if you can buy one or two and sometimes you know, you just because something is on sale doesn't mean it's free. Right. (laughs) This happens at Target all the time. Like you go in and you try to just get a roll of toilet paper or whatever. And then you end up with a whole cart because stuff is like on sale, but it's not free. So I think we often get into that emotional shopping and spending habit where, you know, a lot of times we had a bad day and then we, buy something to make ourselves feel better. Mm-hmm. And that's just, you know, an addiction that we have to confront and retail therapy. With. Yeah. Retail therapy is real. It's so real. Take it from me. It's the realest thing. Um, how did you, if you don't mind sharing, like when you first got into all of this, what was your journey kind of looking like, or how did you start or what was the first thing you started with? So I grew up in an immigrant family, uh, broken home. Nobody ever talked about money or anything like that. My boyfriend in high school said he wanted to be a hedge fund manager. And I thought the dude wanted to be in gardening. So like I was (laughs) so clueless, Olivia, I am the least likely person to be a finance anything. I never imagined I would get my own financial life together, much less teach other people about it. So truly, if I could do it, anyone could do it. And then I just needed a job when I was 18 and I was offered a job on the floor of the stock exchange. And I lied and I said that I knew about it and I didn't. Mm -hmm. And I faked it till I made it. And I realized that it's the language like anything else. And, you know, growing up in an immigrant family, I was only taught about cash, not mortgages or anything else. Um, And so I got a credit card for the very first time and got myself in a bunch of credit card debt and then figured out how to get out of it the hard way. Mm. I mean, every book that I read or anytime I looked something up, it all sounded like gibberish. I needed a definition for the definition. And I was like, gosh, there has to be a better way because once you can actually speak it, it's not that complicated. It's like, if you go to Japan and you don't speak Japanese, you'd be 
really confused. Right. If you go to Wall Street and you don't speak the language of money, you'll be really confused until, right. of course, you speak it. So I figured out how to prioritize to pulverize out of my debt. Again, love alliteration. It just makes things easier. Mm-hmm. And I you know, did $6 or $7 a day. It can be baby steps, wow. especially with something overwhelming breaking it down into baby steps. And then those little baby steps broken down into even smaller steps is the best way to tackle something that's overwhelming. And money is often that. And where do you put that like six or $7 at first? So I, there's two different kinds of methods that finance people talk about the avalanche method and the snowball method for tackling your debt. So I like the avalanche method, which is the prioritize method. So you rank your highest interest rate first and your highest interest rate is usually your credit card debt. So if you have a hundred bucks magically that you found Mm -hmm. and you have a bunch of different kinds of debt. You have a car note or a car uh, payment. You have a mortgage. You have student loans. You don't just find the $100 bill and then pay that and cut it up. And yes, it feels cathartic, but you should pay 100 bucks toward the highest interest rate first. So toward um, whatever that is that you have on your credit card, because you're going to pay that down. That's going to snowball and be um, you know, greater and get out of control the fastest. So I would say not all debt is created equal. And so make sure you know exactly what your interest rates are for all of your different kinds of debt. And you know, creditors can take away your house. They can take away your car. They can't take away your brain. Right. Um, so I say that student loans should go at the end. Interesting. I have so many questions from people saying like, where do I start with paying off my student loans, tips for paying off student loans? I mean, I could find like hundreds of them. Um, So you're saying do the other stuff first and that should be last on the list. It should be. There's a lot of relief to coming out of Washington and a lot of forgiveness out there, which is great. Uh, so definitely check what the latest is for when you listen to this. And just because there was a moratorium on student loan payments doesn't mean you couldn't pay them. So yes, you didn't have to, but actually when the interest was paused on student loan payments over the pandemic, if you gave them a payment, it would be going towards your principal, which actually pays down your loan the fastest. So if you can still, I'm pay, like, just what because- does that even mean? So you so you have a principle of what you're paying and then you have the interest on top of that. And so when you pay mortgage payments, you're oftentimes just paying the interest and you're not paying down the actual cost of the thing that you borrowed against. Okay. Because if you get like a $100,000 mortgage, you're often paying just as much in interest as you are for the actual house. So Mm -hmm. the interest on these types of loans really can get out of control depending on what the interest rate is. And so when you had the opportunity over the pandemic to take a pause on your student loan payments. Uh, If you did pay anyway, let's say you had a little bit of extra money, it was going toward knocking down the principal, the base of what you actually borrowed and not the interest. That's the stuff on top. Does that make sense? Sort of. I think that I, you're saying that because of the pandemic, that was like a government, that was like a government enabled situation where they said, cause obviously I'm not in school. So I am unaware of this side of things. Um, will you just break it down for me? Like as if you were talking to a first grader, 
No, totally. So if you took out student loans, then uh, there are federal and private student loans. And so we've seen some relief that's come out of Washington around federal student loans. Um, and there are a lot of different programs that you can look into to help pay those down. Now, because we saw over the pandemic, there was a pause on them. Like mm -hmm. in some areas, there was also a pause on paying rent, for instance. Mm -hmm. um, this is different because when you take out a certain amount of money, let's say you take out $10,000, that $10,000 is not what you ultimately pay. You ultimately pay much more with mm -hmm. interest, right? And so when those payments were paused, uh, then you didn't have to pay any money toward paying them down. And so what I would suggest is that even if you didn't have to pay it and you can pay it, you know, it, finance has been so hard for many people during the pandemic, but it would go toward the main $10,000 that you were paying, which actually in the long run will help you pay less over time okay. than, than the extra interest that you're paying on top. So as, as much as you can get the principal down of what you're, uh, what you borrowed, the better. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. I'm Elia Connie, and this is Family Therapy. My best hopes, I guess, identify the life that I want and, and work towards it. I never seen a man take care of my mother the way she needed to be taken care of. I get the impression that you don't feel like you've done everything right as a father. Is that true? That's true, and I'm not offended by that. Thank you for, for going through those things, and thank you for overcoming them. Wow. Thank God for the limits. Every time I have like one of our sessions, our sessions be positive. It just keeps me going. I feel like my focus is redirected in a, in a different aspect of my life now. So, how'd we do today? We did good. The Black Effect presents Family Therapy. Listen now on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Imagine you ask two people the same exact set of seven questions. I'm Minnie Driver, and this was the idea I set out to explore in my podcast, Mini Questions. This year, we bring a whole new group of guests to answer the same seven questions, including actress and star of the mega hit sitcom Friends, Courtney Cox. You can't go around it, so you just go through it. This is a roadblock. It's going to catch you down the road. Go through it. Deal with it. Comedian, writer, and star of the series Catastrophe, Rob Delaney. I shouldn't feel guilty about my son's death. He died of a brain tumor. It's part of what happens when your kid dies. Intellectually, you'll understand that it's not your fault, but you'll still feel guilty. Alt-rock icon, Liz Fair. That personal disaster wrote Guyville. So everything comes out of a dead end. And many, many more. Join me on season three of Mini Questions on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, 
or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Seven questions, limitless answers. I bet you're smart. Yeah, and you like to hold your own in the group chat. We can help you drop even more knowledge. My name is Martine Powers. And I'm Elahe Izadi. We host a daily news podcast called Post Reports. Every weekday afternoon, Post Reports takes you inside an important and interesting story with the kind of reporting that you can only get from The Washington Post. You can listen to Post Reports wherever you get your podcasts. Go find it now and hit follow. Okay, this is another really great question. And it says, the topic of money can be uncomfortable sometimes. If you are unhappy with your salary, what is an appropriate way to start this conversation with your boss? This is a great question. So everything is negotiable. Uh, The worst thing anyone can say is no. All these bills, by the way, are negotiable. If you have credit card, um, if you have credit cards and your APR, your interest rate is negotiable, your medical debt is negotiable. I love to argue with online bill collectors because, you know, the worst thing they can say is no. So when you're going to your employer for a salary increase as an employer myself, you know, I like to see evidence that you are making me money. I'm not running a charity in my business. And so if you can show me like where you've actually contributed to the overall uh, revenue of the company, then that's really helpful for me as an employer. So I would go in with a document or some sort of presentation, just like you would for any other client, but then do it for yourself because your boss has their own things going on and likely their own boss. And so they're not watching all of the things that you're doing. So you really want to highlight that for them and then go in with a salary bump increase option, a perks option, and then a combination of both. So the perks option could be something like a transportation stipend or an expense account or or, you know, working from home a certain day if you're mm. back at the office. And then those things sometimes are more valuable than a bump in your base salary. So I would look at your overall compensation package and uh, and then go in with a couple of different options, but definitely show how you've been contributing because a lot of times people will say, well, I deserve a raise. My boss will just give me a raise. Like, right. no, your boss has things to do. Your right. boss has like a board. If they're the boss of that, you know, everybody has to report to somebody else. So really, really don't be embarrassed about tuning your own horn and spelling it out. Got it. How do you know when you are in a position to buy a house? Is there a formula that tells you how much you should spend if you have a certain amount saved? Yes. So this is one of the biggest questions I get. And I would, before even getting into the nitty gritty here, stop and ask yourself if housing is, if buying a house is right for you. We've been told a lot of financial truisms that I like to call BS on. Mm -hmm. And just because you've been told that buying a house is the right financial move doesn't necessarily mean it's the right for you. So renting can be just fine. Like the financial gods are not going to come down and get you because you rent. And in fact, a lot of people who can afford to buy a house rent because otherwise you're tying up a lot of opportunity cost for what you could be doing with that money. So unfortunately, a lot of young people are house poor, where they put all of their money that they saved into a down payment for a house. And then they have very little money for anything else. So if God forbid something happened, you can't go to the grocery store with your mortgage. Um, 
And so instead of that, uh, using that lump sum, like a hundred grand toward, um, you know, a $500,000 home, then I would say, think about the opportunity costs that you might be missing out on and putting your money in the market, which will ultimately get you about 10% over time. Um, and I think the reason people think renting is throwing away money is because yeah. they forget about this thing called inflation. So then they're like, grandma bought a house for 50 grand and now it's 250 grand and housing is the best investment ever. Right. Housing is not the best investment ever. Really? Uh, it's not. If you look at inflation adjusted prices over time, it actually has barely kept pace uh, with inflation if adjusted for what the returns would be if you put your money in the market. Uh, so I would say that get the idea of housing being a good investment out of your mind. If okay. you want a house, cool. If you want to nest your face off, cool. If you don't want to leave that particular area, great. But that's a different reason than it being a good investment. I could think of a bunch of different things that would be much better investment because remember, like a lot of things you don't get back from buying a house too. Right. closing costs. You know, if the roof breaks, if the attic floods or what, or if the basement floods, I got what you meant. the attic flooding would be huge. <laughs> That'd that be a whole really, different problem. Yeah. So what would you recommend or like what you just said there, you would suggest a million other things before a home. What so would those I like things be? To index funds and chill. Um, a lot of people have slipped into my DMs. This is These are the fun, sexy kind of DMs that I get about finance <laughs> questions. Love um, it. <laughs> over the pandemic, like, should I buy Zoom? Should I buy Peloton? Mm -hmm. You know, should I buy crypto? What's going to be, uh, what's going to be most lucrative? And I think that you can have excitement and fun other places. I really like to keep it boring and basic with money and your money strategies. And so index funds, do you know what an index fund is? No idea. Okay. So sometimes if you hear on the news, like the Dow is up or something like that, okay. then the Dow and the S&P 500, those are indexes. And so those like for the Dow, for instance, those are the biggest 30 stocks that we have. Um, and so an index fund will buy a little piece of all of those companies within that particular index. So you're buying a lot of different things that will essentially diversify what you have exposure to. So if one of those things fails, then you have something else to prop it up. Otherwise, if you're putting all of your money in one thing like Zoom stock or mm -hmm. Peloton stock and that goes down, then then so does your money. And so I right. like to I like to suggest what Warren Buffett suggested for his wife to do in his will. So Warren Buffett's one of the greatest investors of, of our time. And he said to his wife, put most of our money into low cost S&P 500 index funds, which you know, is basically just tracking the market. Not a lot of investors can beat what the market does. So when you hear the market is doing this, that generally means like the S&P 500, which okay. are the 500 stocks that that would be tracking. Okay. That makes sense. Cool. Learning something <laughs> new every day. Yes. I would say, I'm so nervous about this because as I said, it's so intimidating when you don't know anything. And <laughs> I feel fortunate that I have somebody on my team that handles and helps me with my money. So I have somebody to go to, but I know so many people don't that it's like very overwhelming. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, Oh my God, 
We've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. I'm Elliot Connie, and this is Family Therapy. My best hopes... I guess identify the life that I want and and work towards it. I never seen a man take care of my mother the way she needed to be taken care of. I get the impression that you don't feel like you've done everything right as a father. Is that true? That's true. And I'm not offended by that. Thank you for for going through those things and thank you for overcoming them. Wow. Thank God for deliverance. Every time I have one of our sessions, our sessions be positive. It just keeps me going. I feel like my focus is redirected in a different aspect of my life now. So, how'd we do today? We did good. The Black Effect presents Family Therapy. Listen now on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Imagine you ask two people the same exact set of seven questions. I'm Minnie Driver, and this was the idea I set out to explore in my podcast, Mini Questions. This year, we bring a whole new group of guests to answer the same seven questions, including actress and star of the mega-hit sitcom Friends, Courtney Cox. You can't go around it, so you just go through it. This is a roadblock. It's going to catch you down the road. Go through it. Deal with it. Comedian, writer, and star of the series Catastrophe, Rob Delaney. I shouldn't feel guilty about my son's death. He died of a brain tumor. It's part of what happens when your kid dies. Intellectually, you'll understand that it's not your fault, but you'll still feel guilty. Alt-rock icon, Liz Fair. That personal disaster wrote Guyville. So everything comes out of a dead end. And many, many more. Join me on season three of Mini Questions on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Seven questions, limitless answers. The best conversations I have with my colleagues are the ones that happen when no one is looking, when we're not 100% sure yet what to write. Hopefully, having conversations like this can help you figure out your own point of view. That's kind of our job as Washington Post opinions columnists. I'm Charles Lane, Deputy Opinion Editor. And I'm Amanda Ripley, a contributing columnist. We're going to bring you into these conversations on a new podcast called Impromptu. Follow Impromptu now, wherever you listen. When it comes to relationships, what do you think is the appropriate way to handle money? Should you keep finances separate? This is a great question. So... Money is one of the greatest causes of fights and divorce within couples. Um, I think you have to start talking about money the earlier, the better, and think about timing, tone, and turf. So it doesn't have to be this hardcore conversation with all of your spreadsheets um, across the kitchen table and like some contentious conversation. You could be like, hey, what do you want to do in five years or 10 years? Because goals have price tags. So if you have a conversation about what your goals and your dreams are, that's a much better way to approach it than something that feels scary and intense. And so when you're 
moving in with somebody, that's a different talk than when you get married and have kids. Cause then you have more money talks like wills and advanced directives and not super fun things to talk about, but that's what grownups do. Um, so when you're putting your money together, or if you're getting married, I would say have a yours, mine and ours account. So, hmm. and have your, the money that goes into the hours account be weighted. So if somebody ultimately is going to make more money and somebody is going to make less. It's, it's very uncommon that people make exactly the same amount of money. So if one person makes hundred thousand dollars and one person makes a million dollars, 10% of that is going to feel similar to each person, but it's not going to be the exact same dollar amount. So, you know, $10,000 to a person that makes hundred thousand dollars a year is going to feel like a lot more than somebody that makes a million dollars right. a year for instance. And so I would say, come up with a percentage instead of a fixed dollar amount to put in the hours account. Interesting. And then also don't forget like where the bills are, um, whose name the bills are under, because you want to be accumulating credit. Um, credit is like your financial report card and your credit score determines how much, in, how much of an interest rate you're going to get right. on any of the stuff. So your credit card, like the credit card interest rate that you have is not going to be the same as your friends because it's all based on your history. Right. And I got a lot of questions about credit. Um, obviously, it's really important to have good credit. I've seen a few things like how do you begin to build a, a like a good credit in your early 20s? And then I've also seen like, what if you still live with your parents and you're under all their financial uh, kind of their financial tree and you don't have you like, how do you start building that credit on your own? Yeah, I mean, the, the few ways to increase your credit score, the first one is paying your bills on time. And mm. if you haven't set up automatic deposit for that, you definitely should. You know, stuff happens, you move, whatever. But that actually dings your score the most. And then your utilization rate, which is just a fancy word for how much credit you're using compared to how much credit you have. So if you have a $5,000 credit limit on one of your credit cards, um, you should not be spending five dollars on that. Yeah. You should try to keep it to, you know, a thousand dollars or less because then you're showing creditors that you're responsible right. with credit. So try to keep that to, um, as much of a minimum as possible. If you are responsible, I never say no to a credit increase because then that just helps your, that fancy utilization rate. Um, don't necessarily use it, but always get higher credit increase if you can. And if you can't even get a credit card, a secured credit card is a great way to go or to become an authorized user on somebody else's card. So, um, there are secure credit cards where essentially you would pay them off uh, in full and that can just help build your credit by showing good payment history. Okay, that makes sense actually. And I think one of the most daunting topics and also one that mind boggles me that we are not taught this in high school, like genuinely, it's crazy to me, but taxes, so important. If you have no idea, obviously it's not something they teach us in school. How do you even begin figuring out your taxes and do you have tips for just simplifying them? So yeah, taxes are definitely a beast. Don't be upset if you don't know about them. You don't <laughs> actually necessarily need to know about them yourself. You just need to find the right resources to help you. So there are a lot of different uh, online services like a TurboTax or something like that. You know, I'm not suggesting them particularly, but there are a lot of services that can help if you have very simple returns. Um, you can also, if you make, 
you know, less than $57,000 a year, you can get your taxes done for free, depending on your state, Hmm. like Cal EITC for me, if you go to that in California, then you can get help in, in doing your taxes. And just because you made a little bit amount, you know, it just because you might've made a little bit of money that year, doesn't mean you don't file a tax return. You should. Um, And in fact, you could be getting money back to you that you don't even know about. There are a lot of different tax credits that you could qualify for. But my suggestion is, depending on how much money you've made, uh, use an online program, uh, go to an organization like Cal EITC uh, for me, or find an accountant that is uh, a certified accountant Mm -hmm. in your area. Green flags for good investment opportunities. I kind of liked how they phrased this because normally I always see like red flag talking about like relationships. And I like that they said green flag for good investing. Green flags are awesome. Um, You know, I think green flags around anything crypto related and crypto is the most risky, one of the most risky assets out there. But it's something that you know, is getting a lot of buzz right now. And so a green flag for me there would be keeping it to less than 1% of your net worth. And okay. uh, anyone can have a net worth. Uh, it doesn't matter how much money you have. It's just your assets. So tally up everything you have mm-hmm. minus your liabilities. So everything that you owe, and then that's your net worth. But try to not uh, in try to not put in more than 1% of whatever that is, because you can afford to lose 1%. You can't necessarily afford to miss out on if 1% becomes 100% though. Uh, So that is a good green flag. If you have boundaries and parameters, like a lot of this stuff is is similar to how we get our own emotional lives together, right? You want boundaries around your money. Mm-hmm. You want to you want to make sure that you are delineating it in a way that you are intentional about. You don't want to just like randomly put money into um you know something that you see that's on you know hot on the news or whatever right. now on Dogecoin. Um so the first step to any of the investments is to get a brokerage. So do you know the difference between banks and brokerages? I don't. So banks would be like where you keep your savings account or get a CD, which is a certificate of a deposit of deposit um, at your bank and get kind of a low interest rate. A brokerage uh, allows you to do any kind of investing beyond that. So those would be like E-Trade or um, Charles Schwab or Vanguard or Fidelity. And those accounts would allow you to buy things like the index fund that I just mentioned to you. or anything else with crypto, it's a little bit different because mm-hmm. then you would have Coinbase or something like right. that where you would actually buy. Right. I'm kind of familiar with crypto because my ex-boyfriend was like obsessed with it for a very long time. So I'd always hear about Coinbase and Ethereum and all these different things that I don't know how I feel about it. Are you invested in crypto slash is that something you recommend to people? I have a very little bit of crypto. I have a uh, low exposure, mm-hmm. uh, as fancy Wall Street terminology for that to crypto. Um, there's, you know, so there are different kinds, as you mentioned, Ethereum, Ripple are other types of cryptocurrencies. Bitcoin is obviously the greatest in mm-hmm. the same way as that you would have a lot of different kinds of 
fiat currencies. Fiat currency is just a fancy word for like normal currencies that we would have the dollar or the yen or the euro or whatever else. And so, you know, I would try if you're just getting started in it to keep it to some of the big ones that are um, like Bitcoin um, Mm -hmm. would be the largest one versus some of the more random ones, because actually anyone I've done shows on this can create a coin and it's not attached to any intrinsic value. Um, And so it can be very volatile and it can be very risky. So I don't think it's the first place to start with investing for sure. That's really good to know because a lot of people are asking like, would you recommend I just go straight to a stock market or do something a little bit more safe or is it worth taking this risk because it's everywhere right now? Um, So you got your answer, people. Yeah. I mean, there's no like fast, easy way to double your money. This is such a dad joke or a mom joke, but like the easiest way to do that is to fold your money in half. <laughs> there, it truly anything else, like if it sounds too good to be true, it probably is. Right. What's the number one misconception people have about money? Would you say you see? I think that it is something only guys can do. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that, um, you know, a lot of women who are well-educated and boss bitches in their own right still have this mentality that like a guy is going to figure this out. Right. And I think for me, I've always wanted to have my own back no matter what, uh, to have the money. And that means freedom to leave a crappy relationship, which a lot of women stay in because they think they can't afford to financially support themselves or leave a crappy job. And so I think changing our mindset around that, even studies have shown that little boys associate power words with money and little girls associate scarcity or shame words with money. Mm -hmm. And so this has been socialized in us for a long time. It makes sense. And we see all these rom-coms and Disney movies where like the guy just figures it out and like saves the day. And I, you know, I think that's the biggest misconception. It doesn't have to be that way. Right. I feel like that's also such a big reason not to blame my lack of knowledge on this topic on society and what's right versus wrong. But I do feel like it is obviously very apparent that this is like not to this is not true. I'm not saying this is a fact, but that, you know, people say this is a man's job and they they really know how to handle their money. And you kind of just sit back and you do the other stuff. And so I feel like my whole life, I've just been so intimidated to even try and learn about it because I'm like, well, I'm probably not smart enough to figure that out. Like, it's probably so much more complicated than my brain can handle. And from talking to you, it it really does seem like it's not impossible to learn. It's definitely not impossible to learn. And I somehow got into this world of Wall Street and I realized that these guys and they're mostly all guys. I was like one of a few women on the stock exchange and they really don't know a lot more than (laughs) everybody else. I used to feel like it was this exclusive club, but the people inside don't know a lot more than the people out uh, by the curb. They just talk about it way more confidently. Right. All about confidence. We can wrap it up after this, but this is the last and final question. And if you could give one, just one piece of advice about money to the listeners, what would you tell them? I would say take control today. Uh, You're never as young as you are today. And as far as I'm concerned, today is as good a day as any. I promise your future self will thank you. Mm -hmm. It's your hard earned money. You work hard as heck for your money. So it's time that you fight for it. And it's time to 
allow this beautiful force of interest that's more often been used against people via credit cards and other things. Um, I told you how much compound interest can grow when it's used against you, but it can actually, you can use that very same force in your favor. So mm -hmm. instead of being a customer or a pawn in this system, you can, it's so easy to be an owner in this system. And you said you had three books out? This is my fourth. Four. Independent is my fourth. Yeah. Will you list off in order one through four what the names are in case people want to buy and learn even more? That would be amazing. Yeah. So Rich Bitch was my first book. Love. Uh, Boss Bitch is my second book. Love. <laughs> Becoming Superwoman is my third book, which is about burnout and how mental health affects your career. Mm -hmm. um, and then number four is Miss Independent, which is a simple 12-step plan to start investing and grow your own wealth. And I there are more books that. to come. I can't believe it. This is the first of a seven book. That is crazy. Y'all, that is how There's a lot of information to be to be aware of. Well, thank I, you so yeah, much. Thank you. Honestly, thank you so, so much. I know this is going to be so like so helpful for so many people. And it was very helpful for me because before this conversation, I knew basically nothing, I would say confidently. So I really appreciate it. I will definitely be ordering her books. I encourage you guys to do the same. And especially if you're a female, we got to take over. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. Thank you so much, Nicole. Thanks, Olivia. All right. Bye, guys. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. like the police knew who he was before they got here. From iHeart Podcasts. The medical school dean at USC was leading a secret double life. He's breathing right now? Yes, he's absolutely breathing. I'm a doctor, actually. A story about money, power, and corruption. When people fall in line, they fall in line. Looking back, I realized, oh, everyone knew. I'm Paul Pringle, an investigative reporter for the LA Times. Listen to Fallen Angels, a story of California corruption on the iHeart Radio app, Apple Podcast or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, I'm Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of the On Purpose Podcast, and I had the opportunity to talk to one of Hollywood's major icons, Michael B. Jordan. In our conversation, Michael shares the highs, the lows, and everything in between, offering a genuine glimpse into his world. The closest to getting what you want is always the hardest. People give up right before they get what they've always wanted to get. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Therapy for Black Girls podcast is your space to explore mental health, personal development, and all of the small decisions we can make to become the best possible versions of ourselves. I'm your host, Dr. Joy Harden-Bradford, a licensed psychologist in Atlanta, Georgia. And I can't wait for you to join the conversation every Wednesday. Listen to the Therapy for Black Girls podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Take good care, and we'll see you there.